Now, one of the things that I want to talk about before we get into Blood Blockade Battlefront full-on here is I is a little anecdote from my real life. I have started attempting to find a date again. I have, you know, signed up for all the apps and I'm messaging back and forth with people and there's something but there's something odd that keep that comes up constantly and it came up in the very first me- it didn't come up in the very first message and there's no clean way to really bring it up unless you straight up show a full body picture of me and that is and I've talked about this many times on the show I'm physically disabled. I'm clearly not mentally disabled in any way, but I'm physically disabled. It's not like I have a learning disability. It's not like I'm wheelchair bound. It's not like I'm clinically depressed. I have a, I have, I'm physically different than the like normal human because I can't use my left arm. I, it's not like I don't have a left arm. It's not like there's straight nothing. There is an arm there. It just doesn't work. It mostly is a place I put nice watches on now. Um, But whenever that comes up, you get like a very, like the mood of any conversation changes. The mood of people's attitude towards you changes. And it just so happens that um, Crunchyroll's updated feed is still, to my much to my delight, an absolute chaos shitstorm because they're still integrating um, Funimation's old catalog into the Crunchyroll everything and the and the updated feed on your Crunchyroll app on your Apple TV or whatever you watch it on. It's just a dump truck feed of everything that goes up on Crunchyroll. It's not. It makes no discrimination. So what you're having happen right now is you're having shows from like decades ago or years ago show up as if new on the um, on the updated feed of Crunchyroll. And if you if you're listening to this podcast, you probably watch Crunchyroll pretty regularly. You're probably like. Why is this show in the updated feed? That's why. It, they're doing the like library merging thing, and this is a hilarious consequence. What that means practically, though, is that old, like old gems of shows are kind of being brought back into the fold because when you go when you go looking for what was for what you're watching this season. See if it updated when, before you know what day it specifically goes out on. Um, at least in my case, you just find things. You're like, oh yeah, that show rules. Let me just watch an episode. And then you end up watching the whole thing. And that's really what happened to me with Blood Blockade Battlefront um, over the past like week. Over the past since we've, since we've convened for the last podcast. And what that, but I, that in, com, in combination with me starting to try and date, starting to try and find a partner and all that stuff, 
and the weird conversation I have to have around just my physical being with another person who I might be interested in going out, not even really like living with, but at the very least going out to dinner with because it seems like it's fair. It seems like it's only fair that you should know that you're going to get like a person who at the very least looks much physically different, much more physically different than most guys you've probably ever dated. And people's reaction to that are my my first my first rejection, the one that made me call my friend Lauren, hi Lauren, um, was just based on height and it sucked. And I took that opportunity like to just like do an unload on her, which I know is unfair, but also, you know, like really? My height? I'm average height, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm not six two, I'm sorry. But I'm like, yeah, we didn't even get to the fact that I'm physically disabled and, like, a childhood brain cancer survivor or any of that crap. Because you got stopped in your tracks by my height. Trust me. That's the least you need to worry about if you had any romantic inklings of me at all. And it... It's not, it's not really because people will feel icky about dating a disabled person. That is, a, that is the way it presents itself, and I promise I'm doing this for a reason. But what it actually presents itself as is people are made uncomfortable when there's a reminder of real tragedy. Of, like, real... Of a real reality-warping, almost life-ending thing that happened to somebody. That... People feel... People feel uncomfortable with that. And for those of us who have to live with those reminders literally on our bodies... That's a real challenge because people look at you and they don't... They don't always see you. They see what happened to you they and they don't even actually see what happened to you they assume what happened to you and then they start wondering and then they have to ask they're like oh no what what happened and i've already had that happen in a tinder chat of like do you have cerebral palsy and i i not intentionally not thinking about it moved my full body picture on tinder all the way to the back but what that did was that let me know that she went looking through my pictures. <laughs> that she was like, ooh, this guy, I'm into this guy. What do his pictures look like? And then she was like, oh, does he have cerebral palsy? Like, I, I, I not even need to know, I want to know. And she asked me, and I said, you know, I'm a brain cancer survivor. This is what it looks like to go two rounds in the ring with brain cancer as an infant. Like, I'm lucky I can still form full sentences. But, I, it's not a thing you can bring up cleanly. And it's not, it's also not a thing, this is any gingerly way to mention so, like, 
you and if you just come out and say it 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 hits weird it's like a weird speed bump and it takes a lot in a person to like move out of the way of that and be okay with it immediately after you say that and the reason why I'm why I mentioned this is because when you watch Blood Blockade Battlefront at first you're hit by the the like truly incredible like form and function of this show and also the way it it somehow nails New York City amazingly well it is like hell salem hell the way they depict hell salem lot feels in this show it feels like the vibe you get when you're in New York City, when you are part of that city, when you're walking around. Like, Hell Salem Lot does not give a shit about you. Not necessarily because it's Hell Salem Lot. It doesn't give a shit about you because New York never gave a shit about you. <laughs> New York will stab you if you don't know what you're fucking doing. That is still true. New York City, at least. But once you really start digging into the show... What you start to see, especially in the first season, is you see the main character, Leonardo Watch, and his sister, um, I forget his sister's name, um, were part, have real tragedy in their, in their world. They are truly tragic, and even more than that, his sister, especially because when they show really when they show flashbacks of of Leo and his sister of of Leo and Michaela his sister Michaela can walk so they and i think they bring up how it happens but like at some point she stops walking and becomes wheelchair bound permanently and then this nightmare shows up in front of them when they're looking for a way to solve that tragedy solve for that tragedy and takes Michaela's eyes and sticks these fucking nightmare things in in Leo's head. And that's that's the tragedy you really get to see. That you 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 as the viewer are there with the main character as that tragedy leaves its mark on him. Because up until that point, Michaela being in a wheelchair was a real sign of tragedy and changed Leonardo as being the relative of somebody who is truly disabled. Who, who, who is disabled and who is noticeably physically disabled. That changes you as a person. That changes how you approach the world. That changes how you treat people with disabilities. And not even people with disabilities, but how you treat people who are in who are different in meaningful ways, in any way. If you ask anybody who's related to me in any way, like good, even good friends like Hi Kie or Hi Lauren, <laughs> when they see a disabled pe person, their brain does something different. Their brain reacts to that person different oftentimes than they probably react than you probably would. 
than most people probably would because they have somebody in their lives who they know for a fact is a whole person despite having a physical ailment. But what this show really, but what Blood Blockade Battlefront proceeds to do with not just one set of characters who have experienced real tragedy, but by the end of the show, by the end of the first season, two sets of characters who have experienced real tragedy, is they give them a support, they give them a support system pretty quickly of people around them who just don't give a shit. Like, they just don't give a shit. They don't give a shit that, like, Leo's eyes are this kind of, like, golden artifact that can do all kinds of insane shit. Because they can do all kinds of insane shit with blood magic. And if you look at a lot of people who surround... People who are in some way truly different. I'm not saying, like, you were an edgy kid in high school. I'm not saying, like, you were a scene kid and now you're, like, a goth Instagram model with big implants. I'm saying you are physically different than most other people in the world in some way. The people you tend to surround yourself are with are closer to you, more meaning, more meaningful to you, and you are more meaningful to them, and they are much more open-minded in ways that lots of people just aren't, and aren't when presented with the reality that it was an option that you were speaking to a person with a disability on Tinder. Because most people don't, and this is, this is, this is something that this show also gets right because in, a, in in its own way, Leonardo function is functionally a disabled person running around in the world. <laughs> um, he is oftentimes, most times, incidental to whatever the fuck's happening, and he's part of the background. But he's part of the background that the show is choosing to focus on. And the, the best way they demonstrate this actually was with the one episode I skipped, which is probably not a great idea, um, which is the um, their version of a recap episode. He calls in under a pseudonym to a radio station and, like, tells the story of his life in Hell's Salem lot. It's a great, it's a great take on a... Um, on a recap episode, I was just like, oh, this is a recap episode. I, I, I've shotgunned this thing for a week. I don't need to watch this. And yeah, there was, there's, some story, there's some important story stuff on the, on the end of that episode that I oofed over, but I've seen it before, so I could fill it in. But Leonardo, in that moment, you realize, oh, like Leonardo... Leonardo is... Unique, but he's also nothing special in a city full of shit that's weird and unique. And him being part of Libra and all the people in Libra looking out for him constantly and like, 
bailing him out of bullshit that, like, he gets into just because he walked down the goddamn street at the wrong time. It's like he has a support system of fellow weirdos, of fellow people who are in some way unique. And he just, like, he comes to depend on them, and they come to depend on him in ways both large and small. Like, they're the... And the other thing I really like about this show is... And I'm thinking about this now because I watched... I, I'm not completely through it. I'm suffering through it. Because I think it's an... In, I think it's an interesting attempt that is deeply fucked. Um, that new Velma animated series on HBO... They have tried to do something with a Hanna-Barbera cast. That Hanna-Barbera cast was just never meant to have an attempt made on it. And that is, they've tried to basically palette swap almost every character. And the one character that they don't truly palette swap is made to be like a send-up of the kind of stereotype he represented in the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, if you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the new Scooby-Doo spin-off, Velma. And that thing is so haphazard and so in your face, so, so unnecessary, but so in your face with its, we made Velma Indian, we made Shaggy Black, and we changed its name to Orville. You know, we I believe that their version of Daphne is, she might be Asian? Even? And they've like... They haven't aged... They've aged down the characters, I think. Because they think they're all supposed to be 15. But they've also like... Made this a really like... Adult... Quote unquote show. Meaning the... Show starts with a shower scene. With a all-female shower scene. And... So they've... They've... Forced their way into this... Um, diverse cast really because I think they want like Mindy they wanted Mindy Kaling to play Velma which I'm totally behind I think that would be fantastic I think it if Mindy Kaling is playing Velma it doesn't matter what color her skin is or what nationality she is I think that would just be a fantastic idea but they did that that's really the least of this thing's fucking problems Trust me, if you have HBO, turn that thing on for like five minutes maximum and you will be like, holy shit, this is, this, this is not Scooby-Doo in any way. This is just weird. But what that show does, what that show tried to get away with but can't, Blood Blockade Battlefront gets away with in spades. Because... Blood Blockade Battlefront is a international cast of up to and including a fish man. And that's part of the thing that makes it feel like New York. Like, if you're going to have a weird vampire hunting posse in New York City and it's all white dudes, you're going to have to ask some bigger questions. <laughs> Like the so Leonardo is 
he's from somewhere in the middle of the country, not explained where, but he's American, basically. So he's a white guy. And then you have kind of his partner in crime, Zap, who is just from India. He's just a nationalized Indian guy in, like, his 30s. It's... You've met people like him. It's hilarious. He is uncontrollably profane, much in the way I am. He is, like... A ladies' man du jour. He dresses like it. He acts like it. And he's a total psychopath. And then you have um, Klaus, who is clearly in some way German. You have KK, who's uh, who is a working single... Who is a working mother, you find out by the very end of the show. You find out that, like, she has two kids she goes home to every day. And... One of her kids hates her because she never shows up to school functions like Parents' Day or like Show and Tell because she's always saving the world to protect her kids. It's incredible. It is incredible. And then you have Chain, who is a who is like a werewolf who has who, like, being part of Libra is part of her job, and then she's also part of an agency of, like, werewolf super spies. And then you have Steven, who is very clearly been wealthy for a long time. He has a New York... He has a New York penthouse apartment. You know, he... He is, like... He's an upper. He's like an upper crust New Yorker, who the kind of before what they call in this show the collapse, which is when New York became Hell Salem's lot. Um, before the collapse, he probably would have just been a banker, but he also happens to be a vampire hunter. And that like diverse cast combined with the setting that really kind of captures the spirit of New York of like what it feels like to be in New York City really does all you need it to do to sell this fucking show. And some of you maybe haven't been to New York City, but have seen this, or like, is New York City really that chaotic all the time? Are there giant ball demons chasing you down the street? No. But... Occasionally, there'll be things, like, less than occasionally, actually, more than occasionally, actually, there'll be things, like, I remember when I was, um, in SVA, we were all going to class, and the big news of the day was, over by, like, not a place you can't reach, like, just a normal-ass place, a manhole cover burst and shot 20 feet in the air. (laughs) Nobody knew why. Pressure. It was clearly a pressure buildup, but nobody knew how the fuck it happened. <laughs> and the only person who died was some lady who was walking her dog who straight up got a heart attack because the fucking street exploded in front of her. The manhole cover just fucking fell down and didn't hit anybody. <laughs> but she died of a heart attack. Of just a sudden immediate fucking heart attack for no reason. Shit like that happens 
all the time in a city like New York because it's so big and you can't see the entire thing all at once. I mean, I was working at um, a at Justin Alexander, which is a bridal, um, which is a bridal um, fashion company, and we were just hanging out. We were just like doing what we did as work, and because I was a freelance graphic designer there for that time period, and we're just like just doing our work, and somebody else is like, "What the fuck is that?" And it was a giant piece of plywood that flew off of somebody's rooftop deck and fell onto and was like drifting towards the street like a kite that didn't have any wind in it. We were just like, oh shit, I hope everything will be alright, but we can't do anything to stop this. And so that like feeling of chaos you cannot concern yourself with right now because if you introduce yourself into this madness that means you're part of it <laughs> it's very much a real thing in new york city I always had been probably on some level always will be just because the city's too big there's too many fucking people and most of them are fucking weird just weird shit's gonna happen <laughs> Like, I, to give you another example, I was, and some of these are closer to now than others, but I was walking one time through Times Square, which is like a chief place for this kind of shit to happen, and I saw a guy walking, which was, was clearly his girlfriend, and he was walking on the right side, she was on the left side, and they were holding hands, which is a challenge in Times Square because the amount of fucking people in Times Square... Um, but there, and I don't think it's there anymore, I think it's permanently closed. There used to be a strip club in Times Square, a gentleman's club. And you know strip clubs when you pass them in New York because it's a bouncer, because it's an 18, because it's, you know, it's, they're 21 and over because they're, they're bars and they're strip clubs. And the bouncers work there for a long time because the good okay job you basically get to be a doorman and like eventually you meet the girls and blah 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 and this guy was walking by with this strip club i think it, it used to be called lace i when i was walking past where it would have been i did not see it so i think the pandemic finally closed that thing <laughs> but um the doorman just gave him a nod, like, Hey man, I saw you last week. And his girlfriend freaked the fuck out on him. Like, full on stopped and turned to him like, What, motherfucker? And that was just this, like, moment of pure goddamn chaos. That, like, I'm like, I just gotta keep walking, but that is amazing. And... and that, the combination of the super diverse cast, that they, I want to be clear, they focus, and I, I, I did, I, like, answered a TikTok question, because there was a, um, there was a guy on TikTok, a, a fellow otaku, I don't remember his handle off the top of my head, but he posed the anime question of the day, what's the show with the best overall cast. Not individual cast members, not main character, not side characters. 
overall cast. And I have been going through Blood Blockade Battlefront, and I was like, this is a big contender for it. Like, Blood Blockade Battlefront, every character is fully realized. They get their own episode, and then in order to stop having, in order to not have to have an episode about them every so often, what they do after that episode is what if they use the information you learn about the character in the show going forward. So once you know that KK has a whole fucking family, A, it contextualizes why she's pissed off about having to be at work all the time, but B, you get characters who are like, why are you here? Don't you have a kid? I feel bad for your actual kids. What the fuck? Go home, KK. And that taking that focus in on the on every character for one, I think the only characters who don't get no, I think Zap gets his own. I think Zap gets more than his own episode, so he's probably the only one to get without a proper singular episode. But he he's so prominent throughout the series, you don't really need to worry about it. But by doing all of that, fo doing that like personalized focus on each of the characters, and then expanding it out and bringing that the stuff you learned from that focus up from that focused episode on that character into the wider world a makes it feel like all the characters around you already knew this shit <laughs> that's why they weren't talking about it but also it reminds you like oh they did like yeah they they had a whole episode devoted to kk doing her level fucking best to be a good mom and and then they have like a and they always do like a nice there's like a nice little consequence in that episode of for that character and it it makes the world of the show feel more realized because you have all the backstory for you you have the interior life of like now this character who was a side character until she got like three episodes. This character was a side character three episodes before the last arc until three episodes before the last arc of the show. And then once they delve in depth to her, del delve into her like background, you get this like moment where you're like, oh, this is why KK's like this. This is where she gets the different parts of her personality, this makes sense. I enjoy this more. Um, so, I've listened to the Verge cast for decades. <laughs> like, decades. Uh, actually, for a decade. A little over a decade, because I just went to their... I went to their 10-year... Um, the Verge's 10-year anniversary party a while back. But... One of the jokes, that, one of the earlier inside jokes that they still met, that they still bring up from time to time, is this joke about this song, like a G six from, um, I think it's Far East Movement does that song. But Neil I, the head, the literal head editor of The Verge, misheard that 
lyric for a lot of his use instead of like instead of sipping syrup in the club I think it was like he's like thought it was like scissor something so they came up with this imaginary vodka brand called scissor vodka and they like even came up with a tagline and it like they still bring it up like I have a postcard for scissor vodka that they produce as one of the pack as one of the swag bag things just because they fucking could but I that song is not a widely played song but I was in like I was in like a club recently and that song came on and all I could think about was scissor vodka <laughs> and I just like whipped out my phone I'm like like a G6 just came on in in a cl- in this club I'm in Thank you, Neil. You have vastly improved my enjoyment of this song. <laughs> and he liked it and retweeted it and all that shit. But that's the way the the character-specific episodes of this show, at character-specific episodes and moments of this show, feel. They feel like something that they're not... They're not telling you about a character because that character is about to die. They're telling you about that character so they can give you little moments of reward because now you know about this character. Now, now you know that KK is like the, is not just this like badass sniper. She's also this like super sappy mother in a very happy marriage who is also a workaholic. And that just, that, like, that warms, that warms the soul in a way that lots of, lots of shows will do something similar to what Full Metal Alchemist did. Full Metal Alchemist functionally builds up Colonel Hughes so you care about him when he dies. Now, it's smarter than that. It's not doing it an episode before in the same episode as when he dies. But when he dies... It hits you because because he's this character who they've given this extra piece of humanity in the fact that he has a whole family. And they made him unique in that. Like, in Full Metal Alchemist, Roy doesn't have a family. In Full Metal Alchemist, Ed and Al's family is already dead. Or when Wenry, the Rockbells, are, like, off-screen for most of the show. And when they are in threat, they're immediately saved. But Hughes is part of a family. And that family gets broken by the by the show's event. And it's it's meant to be a dramatic moment. This and then once that happens It has some immediate ramifications in that show, but it doesn't like other than the character being gone. It doesn't leave a meaningful imprint on the show. Like Hugh doesn't Hugh doesn't always come up constantly after they deal with the immediate ramifications of oh, Envy killed him. Okay, cool. We know. Now, moving on. Now that's not a necessarily job of the show, it's just the storytelling style it shows. But this moment where they give you a whole back where they give you whole backstories on all the characters, and then 
they keep coming back to it again and again. Like, once you know that Chain is part of this, like, werewolf super secret spy agency, later on there's an episode where they, they're trying desperately to get a hold of her, and they can't because all the werewolf spy ladies went out for a girl's night <laughs> and drank a bar literally out of business. <laughs> And everybody gives her shit like, well, it's almost like we needed you and you weren't there, you fucking bitch. <laughs> and that's also this whole, that's also this moment of payoff for this whole, for most of the show, her treating Zap like a piece of shit because he's such a ladies' man and an asshole. <laughs> she gets, like, she gets her comeuppance for treating him like a piece of shit, essentially because he is who he is. And they, the show knows that, and it's, it's using that for a moment of story payoff instead of like, oh, we spent all this time and then Chain dies. Or we spent all this time on... We spend this... We spend this... Episode, the one with KK's mother, the one with KK's life is really front of mind because that's, it, once again, it's like the third episode before the end of the show. Um, but, like, that one, the version of the show, would they show you that? And then KK dies. And you're left with the knowledge of, oh, her son is sad now. Oh, her father is a widower, her husband is a widower, and blah, 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 blah. No, they just show you that and then KK keeps living. KK is fine by the end of the show. In fact, she's almost expressly fine before the end of the show after that. And So 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 first off, this show is bot the, the original source material for Blood Blockade Battlefront, Kekai Sensen, the the manga version, is by Yoshiro Naitao, the author behind Trigun. And in both the original Trigun, although they're doing it they're doing it kind of less than the new Trigun for a lot of reasons, probably. Um They did stuff like this all the time. They did they give you little story snippets that are just story snippets. They don't have any consequence one way or the other. They just are. And that works so well because of the big mystery of the universe. What you have him doing here, and what you have this show doing here, is you have a universe in which the unexplainable is just, there's no point in trying to explain it. So we're not going to concern ourselves with that shit. At no point did they concern themselves with why like, the vision god shows up and fucks up two, two kids' lives. It just happens. And it just happened to um, to black and white, the um, the antagonist and like MacGuffin of the MacGuffin and antagonist of um, the first season. They are also characters who, as children, who as children or as young people, experience true tragedy. And so they, they've become almost walled off from the rest of the world. 
because of that core tragic thing that happened to them. And when they, when they encounter Leo, who also has that similarity with them, their lives obviously clearly change. By the, the last shot of the last shots of the last ep- of the last episode of the show, have Black back in town, and like he's like, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna come see you, but funny thing, I got off the bus, and Leo's just like, you got monkey, like didn't even leave me a penny, <laughs> and you see that they they become real friends because. They see in each other what other people see in people with, with once again, real tragedy in their path, but are apprehensive about approaching when they, when they have the, I don't know what the best word for it, when they, when they could, and that real tragedy is then presented to them, and then it really doesn't matter. Like that, if you ever encounter somebody with who's like disabled, who's disabled, or has had cancer or something awful in their lives happen to them, yes, that left that left something in them, and yes, that changed them and changes the way they function in the world. But what changes the way they function in the world most is the world defining them by those traits. So, a perfect example of this is, I used to do, and I don't do it anymore, I really should submit this panel for stuff, because I'm very good at it, and it's like a service to the universe, blah, 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 blah. I used to do a panel on on disabled representation in anime. And I've, I've used to pack the room with this panel, like, reliably. But what everybody always gets wrong about disability is, about any difference, is the name of the game is not understanding. The name of the game is acceptance because you can't understand it. And that's one of the things, that's the thing that the setting of Hell Salem's Lot and in Blood Blockade Battlefront tells you unequivocally. You cannot understand this. Do not even try. Just accept that it's happening. If you tr- if you pause to understand, you are already dead. And that makes consequences for you trying to understand what the fuck's happening. But you can't. There's no way you ever could. It is beyond you. It will always be beyond you. And if it's not beyond you then you're part of the madness, congratulations. Oftentimes, shit is not beyond anyone in Libra, but they're also part of the fabric of the mad, mad world that is Hell Salem Plot. That is similar to encountering people who are truly different. People who are physically disabled, people who... all kinds of things. But in my case, people are physically disabled. Do not try and understand... That will happen eventually, I'm sure. It always does. But the first step is just accepting that this is what it is and that it doesn't really matter. Because it doesn't. And the reason why I did the panel was A, 
to like show disabled people in media do that service for people who are more severely disabled than me who need who need and want to see themselves reflected in what in the medium and media they love but also because for the first time in kind of american fucking history we had a president who decided okay mocking someone for their disability it's fully on the table. And that so alarmed me because I'm like, I thought that we had all agreed that this was off fucking limits. And once again, once that was once that was set up, you saw it with Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz, quote unquote, and um his running mate, the the giant who won. Dr. Oz flipped the Flips the odds, flips the odds in his favor because he made fun of um I forget the now congressman's name the the big guy um had a medical emergency he had a stroke in a previous iteration of American politics of American life if your opponent had a stroke and you went like oh they had a stroke are they really fit to serve. People would be like, you monster, what the fuck is the matter with you? But because we've had our, and I've used this term before in this podcast, we've had our Overton window shifted by the big orange jackass. That's fair game, and it's fair game in a way that you can take advantage of. That won't hurt you, hopefully. Now, Dr. Oz obviously lost because he was a fucking dumbass. But, you know... Thus is the world. And so, the, re- the thing I really resonated with this show is obviously the it's treatment of characters who have experienced what I've been calling true tragedy and have real tragedy in their background. Because, and this is true, this is a, um, this is a true thing in Full Metal Alchemist as well. Ed and Al have seen... I've seen the bad shit in Full Metal Alchemist. And everybody who encounters them is like, don't you give those fucking boys a hard time. They have seen the thing none of us are brave enough to attempt and see. They they attempted the ultimate taboo and they know what's on the other side of that fucking forbidden door. Both, it turns out, both both figuratively and... Literally. And they go through that show knowing full well what they did, knowing full well that like they crossed the fucking line and this and their bodies the way they are are what are the are the price they paid and ultimately Al um Al gets his full body back, but Ed only gets his arm back. Because he only ha- because he only has enough for a body and an arm. Not To fix the whole jam. And. That's. I think that's a really important thing to. To put in people's heads. Um. So I'm going to end this. Once again. On a personal note. Just like I. Started it. I love little kids man. I 
deeply love little kids. And the reason I often love little kids is because they haven't, just by the matter of the fact of how young they are, been around for long enough to absorb society's bullshit. And yes, there's good stuff that society teaches children. Eventually we stop becoming sociopaths and like become like functional humans around say around they've decided eighteen, but if what I've heard from women on Tinder is true, that is not fucking true. <laughs> um but they don't have the ingrained sense of oh his arm is like that that means a bad thing i should be careful i should I, that should bother me they just don't think that way because they haven't because that's a learned thing and in and sure enough in full metal alchemist in blood blockade battlefront there's plenty of characters who are like kids or kid like who re- actually, in Leo's case, he has, he has a, in both their cases and in my case, we can hide our disabilities. Leo's eyes are never fully open because he just doesn't need them to be. And also because it's part of his character design. But um, in Al's case, he wears a full trench coat. He wears a full coat and gloves on his hands. In, in Ed's case, rather. And in my case, the most noticeable dis- disability I have is my left arm. I could put that in the pocket of a coat and I look like everybody else. I've got a gnarly scar that, at first glance, people think, oh, is that a weird, cool hair part like they do in barber shops? Nope. That's permanent. Um, That's when they open me up like a jack-in-the-box, baby. <laughs> but... In all of these shows, when they encounter kids, kids don't care what they're like. They think they're all, like, they, they just don't care. When when Leo encounters a non-human member of Hell's Salem Lot, they're like, Oh, you've all seen Eyes of the Gods. Okay, that fucking he exists somewhere. I'm just glad he didn't show up to me. Also, I'm very sorry. That means whoever the other person was in that scenario... It went bad for them, right? And he's like, yep, my sister. And like, oh, that sucks. Moving on. And that acceptance, that immediate acceptance, is what we should all be striving for. That's the whole fucking game, man. Acceptance is the first step to understanding. If you don't accept something, it just is. And if there's nothing you can do about it, and it truly does not matter unless you make it matter, you can never get within a country mile of understanding something. And like I said, but like I said, I, as a person who is truly different than 99.9% of the people listening to this right now, have to go in with my eyes wide open to the fucking deal with something like Tinder or something like eHarmony or something like any um, dating app because I know that when I tell you if you're interested in me in any way, romantically or even relationship, in any way relationship-wise, 
Hey, one more thing. I'm kind of a brain cancer. I'm kind of a childhood brain cancer survivor and physically disabled. That changes what you see of me. That changes. That brings up something in your mind. That then you have to go through the process of confirming. So actually, this is where I'll end it. Um, my favorite thing in the world. My favorite thing in the world. The thing that people that like ingratiates me pe to people the most is when people just don't fucking ask. When people look at me and they're like, "Oh, weird, his arm doesn't work." That's not my that's not my business right now. It will probably come up. You will probably find out. But it's really nice when people when like I just don't have to when I just don't have to revisit the fact that I was hospitalized for much of my infant years, that I have had seven brain surgeries, that I woke up blind once from one of those brain surgeries. Just, just the way you don't want to think about the most painful, the most fucked up things you've ever been through, people have been through not just like life fucked up things, but like cosmic level, you are a child with cancer fucked up things. Don't really want to keep doing that shit. Don't really want to keep bringing it up every five fucking seconds. And if you are at any point somebody who matched with me on a thing, there's a small chance of fucking that, honestly. Um, and you're like, why didn't you, or you matched with them, or you're currently dang, you're like, why wouldn't you bring that up? It seems important. Honestly? It's important to you, but it's not that important to me. To me, it's just everyday life. To people with disabilities, to people with true difference in their lives, that's their everyday. You're encountering it for the first time. But when you walk, when you walk by somebody in a wheelchair, somebody who has cerebral palsy, any kind of real physical difference, any kind of any difference, that's their whole lives. And the thing that's making it not normal in that moment is you, is everyone around them. Everybody's always surprised. And, and this is the last thing that blood, that both Blood Blockade Battlefront and Full Metal Alchemist actually capture perfectly. Is in both cases, Ed and Leonardo are deeply normal people. Other than the fact that, you know, Ed is a... Like, in in universe, like, Ed is a storied alchemist, but not because, but because it's that link to his disability. But Leo is, he's a normal guy. He's like, he's like a hapless, weird fucking guy. The whole episode, the whole first episode of the second season, is about him finally buying an Xbox in the latest edition of his favorite game. And not getting to play it because his apartment gets fucking destroyed. <sighs> and it sucks. <clears throat> but, you know... It, in his day-to-day, -day, in the moments where he's not... Dealing with some psychotic bullshit... And even in the moments where he is dealing with psychotic bullshit... 
It's just his everyday life, and the, that sh- and the show really puts it across that way. Like, <laughs> people are like, "Have you always lived here?" And he's like, "No, I chose to live in this nightmare." <laughs> and he he chose it for a reason, but he's not obsessed with the fact that he has these cool fucking eyes. They're in his head. There's nothing he can do about it. He ha- he is forced to accept it every day of his life, and like truly interrogating that would drive you insane. In fact, lot many people who have true different in them. At some point, we attempt to truly interrogate it, and we we feel the insanity, and we're like, nope, that's not the that's not the move. That's not the move here. The move here is to like live a normal life to to. Redefine normal around what your normal is. And so when you come at somebody who is truly different in some way, remember that your that your experience of them is extraordinary. Their experience of themselves it's just an everyday thing, man. And that that's really the like key that makes it's really the key ingredient that makes the sauce of Blood Blockade Battlefront. We as the viewer are approaching this madness. But to everybody in it, it's just an everyday thing, man. It's not complicated, it's not hard. It's not anything they attempt to understand, it just is. And that, like, it's it's really refreshing to see a show do that. And it's interesting that the show came from the mind of somebody who made something that is di- diametrically the opposite. In Trigon, when you, encou- when you encounter tri- Vash, you're encountering someone truly extraordinary in truly extraordinary and fucked up, in a truly extraordinary fucked up scenario that has continued for hundreds of years that has been for hundreds of years and continues to be extraordinary and fucked up and the by the end of the by the middle part of Trigon the original and most likely the Trigon Stampede and even in the first two episodes of Trigon Stampede you see this sadness in Vash because he realizes that he's the danger. That he's part of the big problem that will ultimately destroy, that could ultimately destroy humanity. And that, and to, and for somebody to, who wrote that story and penned that story, to then turn around and do something like Blood Blockade Battlefront, in which the main character is just a big cog in this machine of the shows of the property's world is really kind of an extraordinary understanding of like, okay, I've done the true savior thing. Now I'm going to turn around and do the like every man who is truly an every man doing what he what best he can based on his principles to make the world a better place. And the thing that the thing that everyone else sees him as special on the show straight up says this. He sees his common sense. It's not he, he is not treating it like it's gospel, he's treating it like it's a library book. 
<laughs> that everybody has access to. He he doesn't see he doesn't see himself as extraordinary because to him he's never been extraordinary. The most extraordinary thing about him is something he paid an an extraordinarily terrible price to have. And uh, the show brings up later that he doesn't really he doesn't his he can use his eyes to take over the vision of anybody and everybody he ever meets. And he never does. He almost never does. Like, he does sometimes for, like, a gag moment. But, like, the scene when he... There's multiple scenes when Leo gets, like, stopped by fucking otherworldly thugs to have the shit kicked out of him and his wallet taken. And you find out later that, like, he's running the long con because he's stashing money all over his body. So, like, the wallet is just a... It's just a ruse. But... Somebody at some point is like, why don't, like, actually he just said, like, Sonic looks at him like, why the fuck would you let these idiots do that to you? And he's like, yeah, I know, but like, it's like pet monkey. He's like, yeah, I know Sonic, but I like, I can't, like, it feels weird for me to just use my super nightmare vision powers for my own for my own gain. It doesn't feel right. It's not cool. And then he just goes about his day. <laughs> Cause congrats in his life. I got the I got the shit kicked out of me and I lost another wallet. It's like a Tuesday. It's not a big deal. I'm not gonna fuck up those guys' eye sockets for a solid month because I wanna, you know, take over their eyes and spin them in their skulls like they're dreidels. Even though there's a thing I'm fully capable of doing. And that that realization of what the outside sees as extraordinary and terrifying and worrying and what from the inside looks like every day it's a really important thing that the show not only shows but straight up tells you that's what it's doing. That's what its main character is kind of all about. What That's a core conceit of this show. Is like... Because tons of shows do that. Tons of shows do this. You're peeking in on extraordinary and you're seeing the everyday in an extraordinary scenario. But not enough of them straight up say, like, this isn't... No... And I don't like I don't like Black Clover. I don't even begin to like Black Clover. But Captain Yami is an inspired is an inspired concept in Black Clover, because to Captain to that character, the idea of going past your limits, pushing past your limits, is a thing he's done so many times that it's just like it's not a problem. It's just like it it it's nothing special. To do that is no true feat for him anymore. And moreover, it shouldn't be for you, you dumbass. And the show the show is like, he's incredible, and eventually I think he becomes the Wizard King in the actual manga. But in the... But in practice, that character is showing you like, the shonen, like the shonen protagonist 
once they fight an unstoppable big bad guy enough times, <laughs> they just kind of know what they're doing. And you see that you see that in um, practically in Boruto because in Boruto all the adults like. They would know how to deal with half the shit Boruto has to deal with. It's like, there's this weird, there's a weird problem with Boruto in that they have to remove Naruto from the from every from most scenarios because the God King of Ninja can't be in the room, and you take the fight seriously. He just can't. The the power balance is too fucked up there. And on that note, if you like this episode, um, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. Um, and the if you like, check out other episodes. Um, the last Sunday edition, which is more of a metatextual fandom art philosophy kind of show, um, was all about what makes a well-written show. Um, the last third day edition was, once again, all about what I'm watching for winter 2023 season, so definitely go check that out. I tried to cover the big thing, which was Trigon Stampede, and two probably way lesser known things, um, but definitely go give those a look, um, or, or a listen, rather, and on that note, I have been Alex, this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Sunday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. My name is Alec. This is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get into what we are doing, what we are talking about this episode, um, I wanted to first say that this is going to be a rewind episode since I have talked about what I'm going to talk about here on a different on a different episode of the show. Um, you'll find out what that is in a second, but I also wanted to let you know that you can go listen to the What I'm Watching um, Winter 2023 episode in the feed right before this one. And um, spoilers, if you're not watching High Card... You're fucking up. High card is an alright thing and it rules. So, um, that's a, just a little long and short of that. But I touch more on that show in the, in the what, in the what I'm watching winter 2023 episode, which is the one immediately before this one, um, in the podcast feed in whatever app you're using to listen to my dulcet tones right now. Um, but... Uh, with that out of the way, I want to jump into what we're talking about this week. And once again, this is going to be a rewind episode because we are talking about something we talked we touched on before here. And that thing is Blood Blockade Battlefront. Show, 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 show